working in SaaS businesses, there's so much emphasis on the underlying metrics and, and KPIs, if you will, that, that, that help inform what happens with the business and the health of the business in a way that traditional financial statements can't because of the business model. And so, you know, the, the metrics become very important to understanding not only what has happened and what that means about the future, but what you should do next and how to right. think about planning for your, you know, near to, to medium to long-term future. You're listening to the Finance Fireside Chat Podcast brought to you by FutureView. I'm your host, John Bolley, CEO and co-founder of FutureView Systems, a finance solutions provider that was created by finance folks for finance folks. Join us as we discuss the topics, trends, and best practices near and dear to finance and accounting professionals. Hi, I'm John Bolley, and uh, it's time for another Fireside Chat from FutureView. And today I'm here with my colleague, Brian McGrath, and we're going to talk about a topic that I think is, is one of the more interesting finance topics, SaaS metrics. SaaS being a, a, a subscription business or a, a software as a service business. What are the metrics to use for that? And I'll just start off by saying that a lot of CEOs that we talk to, you know, they, they get to a certain point with a SaaS business and they hire their first controller and they get gap financial statements. And they realize that for a SaaS business, especially a growing SaaS business, a, a gap financial statement is, is really not particularly meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, and so then they say, well, what can I use that will drive my business? And that's where you come up with metrics. Metrics that show what's my fu- the future potential of my business. And, and we'll elaborate on that a little bit, Brian, because I know you know what I'm talking about there. How do you, how do you think about yeah, SaaS metrics? I, I mean, you know, SaaS businesses are all about investing in portfolios of, you know, assets, customers, revenue streams, whatever, that return a, that, that produce a return over time, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're buying these portfolios of things that don't show up in your financials for years to come. And mm-hmm. so looking at financial statements, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons I, I really fell in love or whatever with FP&A as a profession working in SaaS businesses because mm-hmm. there's so much emphasis on the underlying metrics and, and KPIs, if you will, that, that, that help inform what happens with the business and the health mm-hmm. of the business in a way that traditional financial statements can't because of the business model. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the metrics become very important to understanding not only what has happened and what that means about the future, but what you should do next and how to right. think about planning for your, you know, near to, to medium to long-term future. Makes, makes sense. My, uh, my favorite SaaS metric is probably lifetime value. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a very challenging thing to calculate. In fact, I, what I found is the more the more complicated and esoteric the calculation mm-hmm. of lifetime value, the the less I believe it. <laughs> uh, it's actually very easy to calculate. You just Google lifetime value. It'll give you a formula. You plug that in regardless <laughs> of your business, and you get an output, and then you use that, right? And then, don't you use pi or square yeah. or something <laughs> there in the, in, the, in the whole thing just yeah. to make it extra? You know, I, I think... One of the things that's fun about LTV is that it's it's almost a like a philosophical you know debate on the internet about you know uh, LTV and and um, everybody has everybody there you know you can find kind of ideological positions on LTV uh, yeah. you know to to some degree and it it is a a fun metric in that regard yeah. Um, yeah. but 
you know, I think the important thing for LTV is that it reflects your business. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you need to lock yourself into, well, this is the way that this blog post said that we had to calculate it. If, yeah. if that doesn't reflect your business, then modify the calculation. What you're trying to get to is an accurate reflection of the value of your customers um, that helps you make decisions, which is, I think, sometimes where, where companies can struggle sometimes is that LTV serves two purposes. It, it helps you tell a story, right, about mm -hmm. the performance and the health of your business. And so there's a motivation there um, and I uh, look, I mean, as a founder, you want, you want to believe that the value of your relationships is, or as a CEO or executive, right? You want to believe that the value of your relationships is as high as possible. Right. It helps that that helps tell the story about the health of your business as well, right? right. right? But you also, I think, need to look at it as an investor because you have limited resources and mm -hmm. you're trying to deploy those resources to maximize an outcome. And if you take a bit more of a scrupulous look at the value of your customers through your lifetime value mm -hmm. definition, that doesn't mean you're taking a, a pessimistic look, but you're trying to be as objective as possible with the value of those customers such that you know where to invest your next dollar. And right, that, right. that particular dichotomy is difficult for, for companies to manage sometimes. Um, and so it's a balancing act, and, and you, you have to choose, um, I mean, you don't have to, you can, you can create multiple lifetime value calculations yeah. if you want, but, you know, my recommendation is always pick one that strikes a good balance, that's yeah. defensible, that is ob objective, right, yeah. that gives you as true a picture of the real value that you're willing to put your next dollar against, and run with that. There's no perfect calculation. So, so I think I think this is one of the the reasons that SaaS companies struggle, especially ones that are VC backed. Because, mm -hmm. to me, if someone says there's no absolute good or bad with a lifetime value, right? It, it is what it is for a business, whether it's you know a thousand dollars for a small, mm -hmm. tiny little company, you know, cheap product, or or a million dollars for a company that sells something more expensive. What's important is is that you always calculate it consistently and measure the trend because mm -hmm. that's what you're driving. Yeah, it's the movement. But but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just agreeing. Uh, it's the movement. Yeah. And and but the where where it gets tricky is now you're an investor as opposed mm -hmm. to an operator. When I'm an operator, I want a metric that I can calculate quickly, easily, and regularly in mm -hmm. the same manner. If I'm an investor, I want a metric that I can use to demonstrate the, the value or the lifetime value of my customer base. And I want to compare that to other companies mm -hmm. that make com you know do this a completely different way. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times you find that the, the, the investor is at cross purposes with, with management. Like they want a measurement that is more complex in some ways, but, but demonstrates better because to more them a higher number is yeah. better than a lower number where I would say, it doesn't matter whether it's low or high. It matters that you're always calculated, calculating it exactly the same way. And that you are investing against that lifetime value in a responsible way. Yeah, you very know? true. And that, that I think, is, um, is actually the more important metric than just pure lifetime value. It's yeah. what do you do with that, right? Yeah. If, yeah. You're, if you are going to be, and this is, a, this is an assessment that, that companies need to try to objectively make, if you're going to be more um, 
uh, aggressive mm -hmm. on the way that you calculate lifetime value. I mean, we've seen companies that you know estimate a 15-year <laughs> you know useful life yeah. and then don't discount the the value of that 15th year back, right? So. Um, if you're going to be more aggressive on your lifetime value calculation, you should be more um, conservative on how much you're willing to invest to get that value, yeah. right? Yeah. Give yourself a little bit of, uh, of room um, to potentially be wrong because yeah. on at yeah. least, you know, on one or two or, you know, a handful of customers, you may be wrong, right? And you don't want to be yeah. upside down any more than you need to be. Yeah, unless you're in a, in a really, if you're in a technology company, and you're investing against a lifetime value that requires 15 years to uh, make sense, you're, uh, you're probably not gonna be feeling very good about yeah. that. Uh, well, and that's how metrics can work together too, because you know these things can often triangulate. So like yeah. payback period is um, you know another metric that can be a check True. against your lifetime value. So yeah. if you're telling me that you know, you've got a a 15-year lifetime value. Let's let's use something more um, uh, kind of middle of the road. You're saying you've got a five to six-year lifetime mm -hmm. value, um, and your payback period is three years. That's very different than if you're telling me that you've got a four-year lifetime value, and but your payback period is six months, yeah. right? Yeah. So Absolutely. you know it's yeah. the ratio and and the comparison yeah. of the metrics the, yeah, that lifetime. that help you understand. Um, you know how to assess the value of a business, yeah. or the, the the value of the underlying stream of you know revenues from the from the customer base. Right, right. Well, and I think uh, the the lifetime value, like you said, also how much does it cost you to get that lifetime value? That mm -hmm. whole that's the second best ratio, right? LTV mm -hmm. to CAC. Okay, yeah. here's how much it costs me to acquire a customer. And here's the lifetime value I get from that customer. Mm -hmm. uh, that can also be interesting because if you, how how do you decide what to put into that customer acquisition cost? In theory, almost everything you're doing as a company is designed to acquire customers, right? Yeah, so. if you're a growth-oriented com com uh, company, then absolutely. Um, you know, I think with CAC, you're going to get a similar answer from me. Um, there's the there's the more aggressive approach mm -hmm. to um, or more optimistic approach to calculating CAC and that is right. you know I'm just going to use direct working spend so you know maybe I'm just going to use if I'm if I'm generating revenue from putting uh, dollars to work on Google I'm just going to take my ad spend on Google and that's my cost of acquisition yeah. and the people who are running those campaigns that's overhead right yeah. that's not yeah. part of CAC yeah. you can look at it that way um, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here I think you have to look at what gives you the most comfort that the right. dollar of revenue that you get next from you know that that pool of investment um, is is a dollar of profitable you know good revenue yeah. and if you're only factoring in just the actual working spend and not what it takes to put that spend to work mm -hmm. I think you're you're potentially missing out on some of the cost yeah. of getting that revenue, and therefore you you may invest in a place that isn't actually profitable. And so right. you have to kind of look at CAC as a way of saying, again, objectively, I, I've taken a look at LTV. I think I understand what an average customer is worth to me, and I need to understand how much I need to spend to get that customer so that I can plan the, re, you know, the use of the my limited one. resources as effectively as possible. And if I get that CAC equation wrong, 
I may inefficiently put money to work because I yes. may overinvest yeah. to get revenue that I think is more profitable than it actually is. I think that's a great point because, and, and when we talk about this idea of an analytical framework, mm -hmm. you're going to define these SaaS metrics that you use. And, and the reason we have SaaS metrics is because, because the, gap, the gap financials don't show us everything that we want to see the way we want to mm -hmm. see it. However, somewhere those SaaS metrics, if, if played well, if you, if you delivered the SaaS metrics that you thought were right, it better somehow turn into the right net income at the end of the day or the uh, right, yeah. you know, and, right. and you got to put all those together. So if you have a bunch of, you know, metrics that never associate with revenue or net income, you're, you could definitely fool yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of see this sometimes where there's a story from the metric standpoint that mm -hmm. sounds great. You know, bookings are going up you know, ARR is growing, you know, all LTV to CAC is five to one, yeah. right? And then you look, and it's been that way for years, right? And yep. you look at revenue growth and it's 10%, yep. 15%. Yep. It's like, well, if you're, if bookings if you're, are growing 50% and LTV to CAC is five to one, and you know, how is it that revenue is only yep. growing 10% and net income you're is missing, you're you're missing, losing money, right? You're missing something in the framework chain, in, right. the, in, the, in the framework. And yeah, that doesn't exactly mean that right. you have an unhealthy business. It just means that the metrics that you're using to drive that business may not be optimized in, yep. from a methodology standpoint to help you make the best decisions possible because 10 or 15% may be pretty good for the, for whatever business you're right, in, in terms right. of revenue growth. But the story of the inputs and the investment and the return that you should be getting from that don't match up with the actual results, no, which just, means that you, you might be able to actually improve those results with a better metric framework. Uh, totally makes sense. And we've seen that before where, um, well, we both know one company where I think when we first looked at the metrics and the way they were calculating lifetime value to CAC, I mean, they were investing to beat the band because you couldn't invest enough, but it turned out that with every customer they were acquiring, they were losing money. Right, uh, yeah. So you don't want to have that kind of situation. And, and yeah, you've got to almost be able to model these metrics out mm -hmm. to the ultimate. At the, ult at the end, you still have a, a, a scoreboard that includes traditional gap measurements that you have to get to. Yeah, and that, you know, that really ties this all together. A good analytical framework and metric framework mm -hmm. should be something that you can use to plan the performance of your business, mm -hmm. right? So if you tell me that bookings are going up 50% and it's a good bookings calculation, it's a, it's a good metric, mm -hmm. that bookings number should be a projection of future growth, right? right? right. So if you tell me bookings are going up 50%, and revenue is not reflecting that growth in the following mm -hmm. you know, 12 to 18 months, I can't rely on that as an input right. to my planning framework, or if I rely on it, I'm, going, I'm, I'm by default going to have a variance that's difficult to explain. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm setting myself up to have a difficult conversation down the road by not tying those metrics together with the true performance of the business. Yeah, right? yeah. And I don't think people do, I, you know, I think, I think this is just, I, I think when we see this, it's not, you know, potentially not fully understanding the link between the methodology of the metrics and the performance of the, the, the financials in a way that would help optimize that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, 
by tying these things together in a more cohesive way, you can actually, it pays a lot of dividends in helping to tell the story, yeah. you know, six to 12 months from now. Yeah, if I, if I operate on my met, all my metrics, it's kind of like a, a, a football game, mm -hmm. you know. If I generate this many passing yards and this many running yards and this many, it better somehow translate into a score. One of the most right. frustrating things is when your team does really well and it yeah. doesn't turn into a score. Yeah. What that tells you is you're missing something in the framework that right. doesn't turn into a win. Yeah, if you've got a wide receiver who's got you know more yards than any other wide receiver, but you've lost every game and you're you know lowest points per game, it's like, what's what am I missing? What, what am I not calculating? <laughs> yeah, there's this? something yeah. missing there, right? That's a that's a, kind of an interesting thing, yeah, because uh, you see like a. Maybe that's why then you start to look at things like success in the red zone and success mm -hmm. and, you know, how many teams never quite make it to that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, the one other thing I wanted to touch on was, was you know, I, I'd be curious your opinion, but to me, a metric is only good if, if, uh, if not only can you calculate that metric, and I, and I would say you have to be able to calculate it regularly and efficiently. Mm -hmm. Otherwise... Yeah. If it's too hard to calculate, if, if, if your metric requires an act of God from the finance group to mm -hmm. get it together each time, it's never going to be a regular operating metric that you have to, to yeah. have, right? I mean, said another way, if it's important, if, if you hone your metrics down, particularly in a SaaS business, to the things that help you drive decisions, mm -hmm. you should be willing to invest in making sure that you can see those metrics in whatever cadence on, on whatever cadence is necessary to make mm -hmm. the decisions yeah and if that requires a herculean effort to get that data turned around to you 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 probably haven't invested enough in getting in those metrics and being able to produce them from your framework from from your infrastructure we've seen that a lot with uh, companies that get investments from mm -hmm. say pe firms where the pe firm wants to track a metric against a model that they developed mm -hmm. but the reality is to get to that metric is is one of the hardest you know you can't calculate it regularly you can't you can't mm -hmm. make sense of it so yeah i agree it's yeah. got to be easy to, to calculate and, and put together so which means you may need to look at your whole data infrastructure mm -hmm. and how you're tracking information in your organization what are the systems of record how how do you get the inputs into that metric yeah. in a way that is um, efficient and repeatable and scalable one of the interesting things is like public companies um, they have, you know, you're, def you're kind of required by the SEC to define some of your key metrics or, you know, at, at the same time that you obviously show the gap financials. And it's kind of comical sometimes because you read the metrics that the companies come up with and they tell you absolutely nothing about how you got to the financials, you yeah. know. Like churn is always my favorite. Mm -hmm. Like churn, how many SaaS companies show churn above 100%? Always, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. What, yeah. what do you do with that? And, yeah. and we don't report it above 100%. So, uh but it doesn't tell you much about what to how to how to think about the business in the future, and I think yeah. that's the key with these with these SaaS metrics is they're very much future oriented. Mm -hmm. I mean, SaaS, like you said, it's a it's a business that's about growth. You know, yep. a SaaS business is about acquiring the future growth now. Um, interesting. Yeah, if you really want to understand the health of a SaaS business, you've got to have you've got to have a good metric framework and you've got to have consistency and measurement of it on a regular cadence yeah. so that you can understand, you know, which dials to turn in order yeah. to maximize your outcome. Churn is really that one that churn is like the Achilles heel of so many SaaS companies because, you know, they'll, they, they can look really good for a while yeah. because you, you're acquiring, you know, greenfield opportunity mm -hmm. and maybe you've got some new technology and you're pulling in all these new customers and then all of a sudden you run out of greenfield opportunity 
but your other customers are leaving you at a higher rate than yeah. you told, and all of a sudden that, that growth rate just uh, tails off. And it's also very difficult to look at, you know, as as an owner uh, of a business. You know, I can attest to that. It's difficult to look at your business and think about having a high churn rate, right? Mm -hmm. Or to see your churn rate, you know, uh, or your retention rate decreasing, or your churn, churn mm -hmm. rate increasing. That's a difficult thing to digest and to, and there's, um, there are enough ways to, uh, to, to change a churn calculation to compensate for one-off things that oftentimes you see companies, you know, start to experience some, some mm -hmm. um, increased churn for whatever reason. Um, and legitimately, sometimes there are some one-time things that, that uh, you know, don't really impact the metric in a way that reflects the true health of the business. Yeah. But I think trying to get to, again, as objective a measure of the true churn of the business as possible and keeping it a consistent measurement is important because if you have a churn problem, you want to know as soon as humanly possible because again what decisions are you going to make off yeah. of that metric yeah. like if your churn is increasing it's something that there, there might be something, something there that you some, need to be doing different yeah, i'm doing right? something wrong with my customer relation you know and that's the one other thing i think is really interesting with a SaaS business you know SaaS is kind of we always associate it with like a, a technology type type mm -hmm. business but really when i think of and a lot of companies we see trying to convert themselves they try to be think of sells as a SaaS business, but you know, um, it's really about the length of relationship. Like I've mm -hmm. seen metrics where Starbucks will create a lifetime value. Now you wouldn't necessarily think of Starbucks as a, as a, a SaaS business mm -hmm. per se, but the fact is that they build your loyalty, they, they, they get that and then they sell you, you know, coffee for the remainder right. of your life. Yeah. If you're my kids, you know, and they, and you're, you know, you, they spend a fortune at Starbucks. Yeah. All. So I think, um, you could almost look at almost any, I, I actually thought about that with, uh, I used to be at uh, Mee Johnson in the infant mm -hmm. formula business. And you know, you think, wow, how many orders am I gonna get this time? But really, it's, it's, a, it's a pure SaaS business. There's this many babies being born and I got this share and these yep. are the things that I measure. So you can, the whole SaaS framework really works beyond just what we traditionally sure. think of as SaaS businesses. Yeah, I mean, it, SaaS is just the recurring revenue model applied mm -hmm. to software businesses, yeah. right? Yeah. But um, if you take, I think because of the, the dollars involved in SaaS, you know, they're mm -hmm. often bigger, you know, big dollar volume deals, yeah. lots of, you know, big businesses, things like that, and you're investing a lot of money in it. Um, I think that that business model, SaaS in particular, has further inform the way to think about the just generally speaking recurring revenue model and the value of having a committed stream of revenue and the um, rigor of knowing how to invest against that that revenue stream and that furthering of the knowledge base around that type of recurring revenue stream whether it's software or service or cpg or you know whatever um, is applicable everywhere, yeah. right? To your yeah. point, you know, if you think about every baby as a unit of value, right? To mm. me, Johnson, yeah. they're going to consume X number of, you know, ounces of formula over their life. And so you can think about that as just a recurring stream of yeah. revenue yeah. based on how many babies use me, Johnson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, baby it's, formula. Uh, yeah. 
very it's very interesting. Uh, the modeling piece is 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 there's a lot of a lot of things you can do with it. The cost well, of acquiring babies is a the, the, the conversation starts to get yeah we go into to all get off, uh, off hill there, but uh. <laughs> generating demand is a different uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, well listen, this is a good discussion. I think there's a lot more we could go into with with uh, on this topic. It's a, it's it's one that has a lot of depth to it. But I appreciate the time and. Uh, Thank you very much. This has been another uh, episode of uh, Future View Fireside Chat. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Finance Fireside Chat brought to you by Future View Systems. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please be sure to follow us and don't forget to leave a review. Fours and fives are much appreciated. Future View Systems is a finance solutions tools and service provider created by finance people for finance professionals. If you're looking to transform your finance function rapidly with scalable reporting, budgeting, and forecasting processes that enable you to drive strategic decisions, we can help. Visit us at futureviewsystems.com to learn more.